In the pits of Sauron, Baron and Felagund lay, and all their companions now were dead. But Sauron proposed to keep Felagund to the last, for he perceived that he was Analdo of great might and wisdom, and he deemed that in him the secret of their errand lie. But when the wolf came for Baron, Felagund put forth all his power, burst his bonds, and he wrestled the, with the wolf and slew it with his hands and teeth. Yet he himself was wounded to the death. Then he spoke to Baron, saying, I go now to my long rest in the timeless halls beyond the seas and the mountains of Haman. It will be long ere I am seen among the Noldor again, and it may be that we shall not meet a second time in life or death, for the fates of our kindred are apart. Farewell. He died in the dark, in Tal in Goroth, whose great tower he himself and built. Thus King Finrod Felagund, fairest and most beloved of the house of Finway, redeemed his oath, but Baron mourned beside him in despair. Welcome back, guys. All right, yeah. Welcome to Keep on Tolkien. Episode 9. Episode 9. Uh, this is part 2 of part 2 because uh, <laughs> we're re-recording this episode. That's right. Uh, Due to some lost, technical difficulties. We lost some audio. But it's going to be good because it's going to be better than the last time we recorded it, right? Right. Right. Practice makes perfect. Right? Hell yeah. So we thought we'd start off with an excerpt just kind of... You know, touching on where we left off in part one with the death of Finrod Felagan. Right. Pretty dark place to, to leave everybody. Yeah, sorry about that, by the way. We <laughs> thought it'd be a good place to kind of cut the stories. Yeah, it, it, it flows really well that way, but it is it does leave you guys kind of sad. Oh, I hope you've all been sad for over a week, <laughs> especially, especially because this episode is going to be late, so... You you're sad for more than you had to be sad right. for, right? Anyone who was actually keeping up with this real time is probably pretty pissed off. <laughs> They're super pissed. <laughs> but uh, so that was a pretty pretty terrible place that we that we were leaving Baron there in the pits of Sauron, naked, afraid, naked, afraid, with all of his men dead around him, including now Finrod Felagund. also dead, also naked. Everyone's naked. Everybody's naked, guys. And the only one that's not dead is Baron. Yep. But he's still naked. But he is still naked. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile. <laughs> yeah, me, for, for real, meanwhile. Meanwhile, uh, Luthien's back in Doriath, right? Um, and so she's basically on house arrest. They have her up in this, like, tree fort, and uh, she's not able to go anywhere. She, she could sense the anguish of, of Baron... And uh, so she naturally sent to l try to leave and go help him, but it, her dad obviously was not okay with that. So he posted her up in a, a treehouse, basically. So now you've got like a Rapunzel situation going on. She's trapped in a tower. And yeah, so she uses some more of her magic again. She uh, uses spells to grow her hair. And she also weaves a magic cloak, um, which kind of like... It's literally a cloak in that it, it cloaks her beauty and her uh, her yeah. magic and mm -hmm. and whatnot. This is literally a cloak. It makes her less 
perceptible to, to people. People don't really notice her. And it also, she uh, put a special enchantment so that it cast a uh, a sleeping enchantment on people. Right, yeah. People get sleepy when she comes around wearing that cloak. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yeah, so she uses, uh, she uses um, enchantments to grow her hair long and escape, which is literally a Rapunzel situation. Literally. Literally. Um, but unfortunately, her escape was to no avail. She made it out of her treehouse, and she was as she's trying to leave Doriath, she happens across two new characters to the story who turn out to be probably the biggest assholes of all time. Yeah, they're dicks. Have we mentioned them at all before? I don't think we've mentioned them specifically. So we're talking about Kelegorm and Kurufin. They're two of the sons of Feanor. Two of the seven sons. Now, Feanor, big character, kind of uh, a dick. He had a bit of a... Kind of a dick, but I still like him. But you know I like all the dick characters. In, in relatable. Because uh, I mean, they're relatable. Because I'm a dick, too. So like I like the dick characters. The pride, I mean, he, the real prideful ones. I mean, Feanor was pretty pretty crucial to a lot of the stuff that's happened. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he started all this. But as you'll remember, he made a oath about the Silmarils, and all of his seven sons follow that oath, including these two jackasses. Caligorm and Kurufin. And they come across Luthien in the woods, and uh, she's, you know, still by herself trying to kind of get away to go find Baron. And the she sees that they're Noldorian elves, unlike herself. She's Sindar. And so naturally she... She trusts them. Why wouldn't you, right? She assumes that they're friends <laughs> of Baron. She happens to know that Baron and Finrod are tight. Yeah, are are friends, and they they went off to go do this together. Now, Kelligorm and Kurufin don't like Finrod Felagan. No, in fact, they're trying to usurp his throne and Nargathrond. Currently, trying to usurp his throne, and they especially don't like that Baron is trying to go get one of their Silmarils. Right. So they, being sneaky little bastards, just say, oh, yeah, we'll help you out. And then they kidnap Luthien and take her back to Nargothrond. And so at this point in the story, uh, we get one of our favorite characters of all time is introduced. And that is, we've actually talked about him before, Huon, the Hound of Valinor. He's a pretty badass singular character. And Huon was gifted to Kelegorm and Valinor by Orome, the hunter, and, uh, yeah, he's, like, one of... He basically was raised by Orome. Like, he was a pup of dogs raised by Orome. So, he's pretty badass. And he's seen the light of the trees. So, he's... Yeah, he's pretty badass. And, uh... So, Huan... Um... He... He can sense, um, that Luthien is... Is, uh... She's not having a great time right now. And that she wants to, and she, she, he knows that she, um, that Kelligorm and Kurufin are not looking out for her best interest at this point. No, he's, he's a pure of heart kind of, kind of character. And he is, he is sentient. In fact, he's not just, he's not just a, a dog. No, yeah, he's sentient. He'll speak. He's the hound of Valinor. Thank you. Not the mutt. <laughs> so sensing. Luthien's grief and captivity in being pure of heart, he he decides to help Luthien. And for the first time in this story and in Huan's life, 
he speaks with words, and it's prophesied that he'll speak three times in his life. This is the very first. He speaks to Luthien, and he tells her that he will help her. And then he kind of breaks her out, and they leave Nargothron together. Yeah, and they ride, uh, she rides him, literally, like a horse. Like a steed. Like a, yeah. Which I would just, it would just, could you imagine just seeing, like, the hottest girl you've ever seen just <laughs> riding a huge fucking dog? Just, just a giant hound. Just a huge fucking dog. Like, that would be a, a sight to behold. That'd be something else. <coughs> Sounds like a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> so yeah, so so they're on their way up to uh to Tol Syrian, uh, which is where we left Baron and Finrod. Um <coughs> so <coughs> as they get to the fortress, um Luthien stands out front and she's basically drawing out Sauron's werewolves and Huan just fucking kills them one by one. They come up, he snaps their necks, tears the throat out, whatever he does. Brutal, brutal, fucking brutal. Does it quick though? Does it quick? And he kills every single one of them except for uh, for Dragluin, right? Who is the last one? And uh, <clears throat> so they have a pretty uh, intense battle. And uh, um, so Dragluin Dr- is actually mortally wounded, and he goes back into Sauron's dungeon after the fight, and he literally dies at Sauron's feet. And he says, the last thing he says before he dies is, Huan is here, and then dies at the foot of Sauron. That's pretty terrifying, knowing that Huan's here working against you. And so Sauron knows about this. Um, there's, a, there's a prophecy that Huan, the Hound of Valinor, will only be slain by the greatest wolf to ever live. And so he knows this. Um, so Sauron automatically, because he's a prideful guy, he goes, you know who that wolf is? Fucking me. I'm that wolf. So he, f- he, turns, he turns into uh, what he believes to be the greatest wolf uh, of all time. And he comes out to meet Huan. And then we start the battle of Huan and Wolf Sauron. Cue heavy metal guitars. Cody. Oh, the battle is supposed to be just awful. The sounds and just... It's, it's, I mean, you've got a Maiar fighting against the Hound of Valinor, which ultimately pins him to the ground by the neck. Yeah. And he's, he's in a real bad place now because he can't get up. Like, he's pinned down to the ground. He starts shape-shifting. He's a, he, turns, he turns into, like, a serpent. He turns back into his fair form. He just keeps just trying to get away, really. But Sauron can't get away. Huan's got too tight a grasp on his neck. And, yeah, the only way for him to get out of this situation, essentially, would be to forsake his corporeal form and leave as... Uh, a spirit essentially and uh that's what that's basically what luthien comes up and says to him she says you're gonna yield to me your tower or i'm gonna basically i think it says something on the line of i'll send your quaking ghost back to morgoth or something like that basically yeah so she's like we'll send your 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 naked spirit back to angband to deal with sauron and to deal with last, that's the last person that you want to fail and let down is melkor oh yeah so 
um, he's he basically Sauron, not a dummy, sees that as a good deal. He's like, all right, I get to keep my skin, and they get the tower. So he turns into a giant bat and flies off into the night, and he's dripping blood from the throat as he leaves all over the place. But then, because he yields the mastery of the tower, what happens, Joel? Well, he yields the uh, the spell holding the tower together that he wove around it to Luthien. And then Luthien uses that very same spell to basically take it all down. And she tears down the walls and releases the prisoners from inside Tolsirian, and uh, one of which being Baron. She finds him in Tolsirian, naked, naked, holding the body of dead, naked, Finrod Felligan. Also naked. <laughs> in case you didn't know. In case you didn't know, everybody's naked except Luthien, which is the one person everybody probably wants to be naked, but it's whatever. It's okay. <laughs> it's pretty badass. Yeah, so she finds him. She originally thinks he's dead because he's uh, just, he doesn't hear her approach. Because like all the prisoners, as soon as the walls came down, all the prisoners fucking got out of there. They're like, hey, we're free now. And they left. And Baron doesn't come out. He's he's still down in the pits. He's mourning quite heavily. Yeah. And uh, she comes in. Uh, Luthien comes in. He doesn't even hear her. And uh, she uh, touches him. And he finally wakes up from his despair or whatever. Looks upon her. And, you know, loves her. <laughs> <laughs> they love each other. Yeah. So, happily reunited, right? I mean, happiest under the circumstances, right? I mean, Finrod is dead. Uh, you know, you can't. We can't get him back at this point. Finrod is dead. Finrod's dead. They haven't achieved their goal. Ultimately, why they left, but they're alive. Well, Baron's alive, and Luthien's alive, and Huon's alive, and they they call they they call it a day at that point, and they start heading back south. Uh, Luthien and Baron are going to head back to Doriath, and Huon ultimately was going to go back to his owners. Yeah, he goes back to Caligorum. Um And at this point, Caligorum and Kurfin are actually driven out of Nargothrond because the people hear about the death of Finrod, and they are fucking furious because they, dis- they, they don't see it as... Um, an act of cowardice that the the brothers didn't go with on the quest, which is because because their whole oath is that they'll do whatever it takes, kill who's ever in their way to get these Silmarils right. Right, and yet they did decided not to accompany Baron and Finrod on their quest. In fact, they tried to hinder them because yeah. they're dicks. Because they're dicks, and um, yeah, and so basically the people of Nargothrond are. They say, like, uh, a maiden do, uh, went, dared where the f- sons of Feanor would not. And they're, you know, they're pissed off. And so they... Yeah, they it basically becomes known that they tried to usurp the throne. Yeah. And yeah. It's, and it's not good. They get they get driven out. And even the people who followed them, was who were part of their following in Nargothrond, are like, nope, we're done. Including Celebrimbor, who's Kurofin's own son... Kurvin's own son. He says, no thank you, sir. And he fucking disowns his dad. And he's like, I'm going to stay here in Nargothrond and be the greatest smith of alive. And I'm just going to keep doing this. And you're going to... And his dad fucks off and goes away. And that's probably the last time they ever see each other. I don't... 
I hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> for Celebrimbor's sake. I hope that's yeah. the last time. For Celebrimbor's sake. So while on the road back to Doriath, Baron and Luthien happen upon, once again, who else but Celegorm and Kurufin on their way out of Nargathrond to, to go across Beleriand to, to meet up with the other sons of Feanor. They happen to, to run across these dicks once again. Well, well oh, the part, the, uh, getting a little ahead here. So they're standing on the edge of Doriath, and they make the decision. He basically says, uh, Baron says, I'm torn between you know, going back to Doriath and finishing my quest, which I have an oath to do. And, she ba- and Luthien basically says... You know, whatever you you're gonna do, I'm coming with you. Like no matter what. At this point, At this yeah, point. they've they've vowed to stay together after all the events at Tol Syrian. They're they're pretty shaken up after that. And as they're deciding this, this is when Caligarm and Kurufim show up. <laughs> Worst timing. So they're like, all right. They decide, okay, we're gonna do this journey. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna go to Angband and we're gonna get that shit. But then again, Caligarm uh, and Kurufim show up. And uh, Kurufin decides to, because he's a really good horseman, he swoops up Luthien and p- throws her on the back of his horse. And at the same time, Keligorm is riding down Baron. He's going to run his ass over. Um, but Baron makes a, a, a running leap and jumps onto the back of uh, Kurufin's horse. And grabs him by the fucking throat. Because Baron is still naked at this point. Again. I mean, he's not naked. He's probably found some some robe somewhere. But he has, he, he has no um, gear. He's got no weapons. So he just starts to strangle this son of a bitch. Like, that's, that's his plan. Is like, I'm going to throttle this motherfucker until he dies. And remember, Baron's a big guy. And they, they say that his leap was just renowned. It was a massive leap off the ground, yeah. up into the air, grabs this guy off the horse by his throat with one hand and throws him back down. Choke slam. The, oh, it was. <laughs> it had to have been badass as hell. Yeah, and uh, they actually sing, a, like, people sing about that leap. Like, it's, it's, well, it's well known. Seems like a weird thing to sing about. Yeah. I the Leap of Baron. <laughs> That'd be a great song. Uh <laughs> So yeah, and at this point, um, so uh, what happened? Um, they they have a scuffle. Ultimately, yeah, there's a scuffle. There's a scuffle, and uh, ultimately, Baron sends both the brothers off without their horses, and without their weapons, and without their clothes. But as one final, well, but they, but he takes uh, what's he take though? He very, takes very yeah, important of of the of the brothers' weapons that Baron takes. He takes something specific. It's a special dagger. It's a special dagger. Uh, it's called Angrist. It's uh, made by Talcar of Norgrod. Famous dwarven Famous smith. Famous dwarven smith. He's made other things like the Dragon Helm of Dorloman, uh, which we'll get into in our next series. Next episode. And um, uh, what else he makes? Oh, Narsil. He makes Narsil. He makes well. Narsil. He makes the Nalglamir. He makes a, a handful of, of things that I actually wasn't aware that he was the, the maker of. But Yeah, because we don't hear a whole lot about that, dude. Just his name, pretty no, much. No, you get to hear about the stuff he makes yeah, but and what happens to the stuff, but not really what happens to him. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's really important. So they say that this knife, Angrist, it says it can cleave iron as if it were green wood. So it's a pretty it's a pretty special dagger that he takes from them. Like to the point where it doesn't even have a sheath; it just hangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just kind of it chills naked the blade. 
But after taking this blade from them and their horses, and I'm pretty sure they're close, and I think they're naked now, and he sends them off, but as one final fuck you, one of the brothers turns around. I think it's Kelligorm. It's Kurfin. He steals. Is it he steals Kelligorm's bow, and because he has no weapons at that point, because he's naked. Kelligorm still has his shit. Okay. But uh, Kurfin is naked, <laughs> and, and he's so he's he 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 um and um Baron takes this horse too, so he's horseless and naked, and uh, he um takes Kelligorm's bow as they're riding off, assumingly on the same horse, like a bunch of bitches. <laughs> so and then he turns around and he loses an arrow at Luthien, and the the first one Huan catches in his mouth. This is the first time we see Huan act against his owners. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, in the scuffle, um, um, he, he was trying to uh, spear Baron, and uh, and Huan stepped in between him, and and uh, Kelligorm cursed Huan. He was like, "Fuck yeah. you!" Basically, basically disowned the dog. And yeah, so the first first arrow, uh, Huan catches in his mouth, caught. No, nothing happens. Second one, he loses another arrow, and Baron steps in front of it, plunk, hits him right in the chest, and uh, obviously that shit hurts, and it's not good for anybody. <laughs> so those two assholes ride off into the into the sunset together, back to their brothers, and they they kind of leave. Well, they don't Hu- they don't ride off. Huan chases them off. Okay, Huan chases them <laughs> off. Yeah, at this point, Huan's <laughs> done with them, and he's like, "You guys are assholes." Yeah, he, he chases them off. Straight up chases them off. So at, at this point, uh, Huan never meets up with those guys again. He's he's hanging out with Baron and Luthien from now on. Um, Luthien uses some of her elven magic to to heal Baron and, and get him back into working order. And also, uh, Huan comes back with some herbs. When he, he so he chases them off and he comes back with some herbs in his mouth. Naturally, because Huan's smart as hell. Right, he's smart. Yeah, he's you know he probably learned from Yavanna, because that's where he's from, guys. He's fucking from Valinor. Like this dog knows the Valar, bro. It's it's exciting. <laughs> so after this, especially after this most recent scuffle that he's had, um, Baron kind of decides on his own that he can't continue to risk Luthien's life to complete this quest. So he decides on his own overnight to leave early before Huan and Luthien wake to go off on his own. Yeah, and he... So he gets uh, a little bit away and he's, like, overcome with emotion. So, like, a lot of characters in this um, story, he starts singing. And, uh... Which is kind of foolish of him because it turns out Luthien hears him singing. She sings back... And then comes and meets him. And riding on Huan. Riding on Huan once again. And at this point, Huan speaks for the second time. And every time this this hound speaks, it's just epic and important. And he basically counsels Baron to keep Luthien with him because their fates are now entwined. And a way that they could continue on together that would keep them safe would be to disguise themselves. And Huan goes and gets... The body of Draugluin from Tolsirian, he was one of the werewolves that was de- that we were dealing with at Tolsirian, grabs his dead body, skins the wolf. Yeah, skins that fucker. Skins it, gives the wolf skins to Baron, and then also brings the body of a great bat. Who is, uh, he's actually the, she, it's a she. I just read it today, it's a she, I didn't know that. Um, Thoring Wethel? Thoring Wethel is a she, and she's, uh, 
she was a vampire and she was the herald of Sauron when he lived oh. when he lived at Tolsirian. So basically Tol- uh Sauron's top two top two folks. And right, he yeah. skins them both and gives their skins <laughs> to Baron and Luthien to wear as a disguise. And they actually wear these skins and using the magic of Luthien they become the actual likeness of a werewolf in a great bat. Yeah. To the point where like it makes Even them uncomfortable. and shit looking yeah. at them wouldn't know. The it difference. made them very uncomfortable. Yeah, they weren't cool with it. <laughs> so they, yeah, they eventually are able to j- because their disguises are so good. They're able to just kind of stroll right into Angband. Yeah, they go all the way up across the Alnfaugleith, right up to the doors of Angband. And at this point, uh, Huan is, has left them. They get to a point, and Huan says, "I can't go any further with you guys. You guys are on your own at this point." He's basically gonna. Hang out on the outskirts and keep watch. He's gonna, yeah, he's gonna yeah watch their back. Which thank God he does. But so they approach Angban, the two of them in disguise. Nobody knows who they are, and then they get to the doors and something insane happens. They run into an absolute monster called Karkaroth. And the or- the origins of Karkaroth is uh, so basically um, Melkor uh, slash Morgoth has heard. That Huan is now assisting like Baron and Luthien. So he takes one of Drogolian's pups and feeds it living flesh. The finest flesh. The finest living flesh. The finest flesh. <laughs> it sounds like a commercial for some shit. Of project. elf lords and just the finest man the flesh. Finest flesh you can find. So yeah, he's feasting flesh and he does a whole bunch of magic shit on him. Yeah, doesn't he fill it with like demonic spirit as well? Yeah, he puts some of his his evil and malice and obviously his fea, you know, into mm. it and makes it huge. Yeah, he breeds this thing himself and it is the only creature that comes near his throne in Angban. It's like his pet. And so yeah. he breeds this thing to be an absolute monster of a werewolf. And as they approach the doors, you know, this wolf is pretty keen and he senses something is up. So real quick, Luthien, being wise, whips out her cloak that we talked about earlier and puts a sleep spell on Karkaroth and just puts that guy down at the door. Just puts him out. Just sleeping there on out the Out like a light. Out like a light. And so they, with Drog- or, uh, excuse me, with Karkaroth asleep, they kind of just stroll in there and... uh they descend down into the throne room, and there's a whole, like, evil court down there. There's, like, a whole bunch of, mm-hmm. you know, there's pr- I'm sure Gothmog and some Balrogs are down there. And sh- This is also, mind you, the first time that we follow characters into Angband. Into, yeah, this is the first time in the Silmarillion. Battles they- have been fought outside Angband. We know that Melkor lives there, and we know of some terrible shit that comes from there, but... We've never had any of our main characters go in go into and the throne you know, follow yeah. their story in there. And they yeah. they described it as they walked down there to be just terrifying. terrifying, dude. There were statues that were supposed to be in the likeness of the children of Ilavatar and yet mocking them physically. So they were just really morbid shit in this place. Yeah. And there were screams from all over from people, thralls being tortured. It, it was basically like descending into hell. Yeah, not fun. It's a not fun place. I just read it earlier, and it, it was disturbing. It, it seemed like a disturbing place. It's not It's not a place you want to be. Like, you thought that uh, Mordor was pretty bad? Oh, yeah. Angband. Ang, yeah. Mm. Angband's way worse than Mordor. Mm. Like, Mordor is, is cute compared to Angband. <laughs> it's um, Sauron's cute cabin. Yeah. yeah Sauron. Just Sauron in general is cute compared to Margoth. Like, people always, like... <laughs> 
stack them up against each other, like, yeah, cute. Mm, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they descend down into Angband, uh, and Baron nestles himself under the feet of, under the throne of Morgoth, because um, he's still disguised as Draugulin. As a wolf. As a wolf. And uh, he, so uh, Luthien takes off her, her cloak, and she reveals herself, the only f- fucking character, other than Fingolfin, to ever fucking look Melkor in the face and be like, yeah, I'm this person, and I'm here standing before you, you know? And uh, so she says that. She says, like, I'm Luthien of Doriath, and I'm here to sing for you. I'm here to yeah. be a, a she tries to She tries to play, of all people, Morgoth. I, I guess I don't know how you'd think that was a good idea, but she reveals herself to him and tries to play him off as, yes, my you know my father captured me and held me up in this in this tower and I just don't want to be, you know, kept prisoner by him anymore, so I've come to basically help his enemies and he's like, Well, what could you possibly do to help me? And she's like, Well, I'll even great lords like yourself <laughs> need a song and dance and entertainment, right? And he basically laughs and says, No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, No. But there go no, ahead. There are no jesters down here, my friend. There are <laughs> no, you know no. <laughs> We we feed giant wolves and things down here. <laughs> yeah, there are no there's no singing and dancing down here. But he says go for it anyway, because at this point he's got all sorts of evil schemes running through his head. Yeah, they say it's like they said it was like the darkest thoughts he's had since he left Valinor. Whatever he was thinking. Oh, while really? He, yeah, while they were looking, while he's looking at you. I mean, I can only imagine the terrible things he can think to do having Luthien just standing in yeah. front of him, not only in front of him, but in his home base. Like, what's yeah. she gonna do? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, Luthien sings uh, sings one of her songs and dances and dances and does a dance and uh, she sings them all slash dances them all. Everybody to sleep. It's supposed to be the most enchanting song and dance she was ever, ever managed to put out. And they describe her dancing around the throne room and, you know, all of the trolls and orcs and people start just falling to sleep. And she looks up at the throne and Morgoth is still sitting there. Just staring. Just staring. <laughs> and he starts to see what's going on. And he's t- he, she can tell he starts to get upset about it. But after a little while, there's a giant crash and a bang and Morgoth falls off of his own throne asleep on the floor and the iron crown rolls across the throne room rolls on the floor yeah so, and it's so that yeah it's literally laying on the floor now three silver this is, rails shining this is, bright this is a very big deal yeah like not as only nobody ever entered Angband before but to just walk up to basically Satan himself yeah. and put him to sleep in his throne room and then they continue to handle his crown. Oh my god. Yeah. And so so Baron um he I think he's kind of asleep too cuz Luthien has to rouse him. She touches him with her yeah, hand. Yeah, she has to arouse him and then he breaks out of his disguise as well. And what does he have with him but Pulls that that angriest that dagger, that special dagger that he stole from the two asshole brothers. And he instantly goes to work on that iron crown because that's where the Silmarils are. They're right. They're all three of them are in his in uh, Morgoth's iron crown. So he takes it and he actually gets the first Silmaril and pries it out. Breaks the little teeth that hold it in. Bam. 
boom, and it, light fills the throne room, and then he's like, well, why stop here? Yeah, he's like, at this point... Shit, let's do this let's now. Let's do it. Let's take all these fucking like, things. Like, this is probably the best chance you're going to get, right? <laughs> so he starts working on the second one, and sure as shit, that dagger breaks. And not only breaks, but it sends a shard of metal at Melkor's face and cuts his face. Cuts him open. And he stirs in his sleep. And they're like, oh, okay, fuck all that shit. And it's, it also says that everyone stirred in their sleep. Oh. So, yeah, because, like, so when that happened, you know, you obviously get a shard of metal, flies across, and hits hits the dude in the face, cuts him open. And then I'm sure it makes the noise as it hits the ground, too, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so everyone stirs in their sleep, and Baron and Luthien are like, all right, time yeah. to GTFO. We've overstayed our welcome here. We got to get the hell out of hell. Yeah. So they they hightail it and they they you know they run through the dungeons of Angband or whatever, and they get up to the bridge, on the way out, and wouldn't you know it, <laughs> Karkaroth is woken up. He's still there. They just kind of left him sleeping, yeah. and he's awake. And you know they're obviously not in disguise anymore. And Karkaroth is you know wise to what they they're doing now, and he is. Furious and not happy. Not happy. And at this point, they don't have any weapons. Baron broke that dagger. So he does the only thing he knows he could think to do. He stands in front of Luthien and he holds up the light of the Silmaril, hoping to repel evil with it, right? Yeah. And oh, the thing, too, we didn't mention is that it's very important that when Baron touches the Silmaril, it doesn't hurt him. And that's very, very important because in. All evil characters who ever come in contact with the Silmaril, it burns them. Yeah, if you if you are evil or you've done evil deeds, if you're evil just shit, generally yeah. an evil person, the light of the Silmarils is like pure goodness. It will burn you. You can't touch it. Yeah, which is why Melkor's uh, hands are, are always black because he stole them in the first place. Yeah, he burned his hands trying yeah. to take them. Cause yeah, and in artist renderings, you'll always see his hands are are burnt. His hands are burned on the inside. That's why he's called what Morgoth Bauglier, right? Bauglier's. They mean like black black hands. hands. Yeah. Yep, <coughs> and. So Baron tries to defend off the evil with this light, and basically this massive <laughs> werewolf looks at him with this rock and just chomps his hand off. Chomp, chomp. It's just gone. He just bites the Silmaril, his hand, and everything whole and swallows it. And so Baron's just on the ground, obviously not doing well. No. That's pretty fucked up, and I'm pretty sure... Th- wasn't the wolf poisonous too? Yeah, yeah, it, it poisoned. Uh, so Luthien has to suck out the poison. But at this point, also sensual. At this point, <laughs> you got to think that now the ultimate goodness is inside the stomach of a terrible, evil werewolf, mm-hmm. and instantly it sends this wolf into an absolute mad just rage. Just rage. He is just not even perceiving what. It is that's around him. He's literally killing everything. Mm-hmm. He's killing Doesn't orcs. He's killing is, wild yeah. animals. He's killing. El- killing he'll everybody. kill anyone, and he just goes on a rage and just runs off south, just howling and killing and destroying things. Yeah, and he and then at this whole while this shit is going on, everybody in Angband is waking up, and Morgoth is not happy. I mean, Baron and Luthien are screwed at this yeah. point. Yeah, they're screwed. They're That's sitting at the doorstep with Baron basically going unconscious, missing a hand, no weapons. I mean, they're they're yeah, done everybody's for. Everybody's waking up. Yeah, everybody's waking up. Karkaroth is crazy. They don't even have the goddamn Silmaril, which was what they came for. Right, they they got it and then they lost it. Yeah. 
And um, so at this point, shit starts going down. Like, uh, Morgoth is mad, like, lightning and shit is, like, there's rumbling and screaming, and he's not happy. Yeah. Just in time, though, who comes Who always to shows up just day? in time? Who in Tolkien always shows up? At the last minute. At the last minute. The and Eagles. The, the Eagles, man. The Eagles are coming. Thorondor and his eagles come on and uh, and pick him up. Yeah, and so the eagles pick up Baron and Luthien, and there's a, there's a part in the Silmarillion where it it describes Luthien looking down on Angban as everyone's like mm-hmm. waking up, and Melkor is furious, and yeah, like you said, it was thunder, lightning leaping from Angban. There was fire and smoke belching out of the the peaks of Thangorodrum, and bolts of fire hurled across Beleriand and was just destroying it like. He's obviously pretty He's fucking not, furious. Not happy. No. Imagine if they would have took all of them. Uh, I, I feel like they wouldn't have been able to. Like I feel like Melkor himself probably would have done something at that. I I feel like that would have been too much. You he would have absolutely gone sh- shit crazy, and I don't even know. You know, what I always found kind of weird is why didn't they just take the crown? Yeah, that's actually. I a good bet point. it's super heavy. I bet it's real heavy. That's probably why. I mean, Melkor is supposed he's to be a pretty huge. big guy. Yeah, he's huge, I, okay. and it's made of, I assume, iron or cast yeah, iron. It's, yeah, it's iron. So, okay, we're gonna say here and now that the crown is too heavy to carry. All right, so it's na- like carrying a cast iron bathtub out. Exactly. Like. Yeah, those cast those old cast iron bathtubs. Yeah, that's how we're gonna explain that away. Yeah, I shoved one of those down a staircase one time. That sounds like a bad idea. Oh well, I had to. It was we, me and my grandpa were taking the tub out of my old my grandma's house. It was like an old claw tub. Did it like break the stairs? No, it made a hell of a noise though. <laughs> hell of a noise. We slid it down the back stairs. It was like... Imagine that crown falling down and rolling across the well, floor. It would make a hell of a noise. Right. Hell of a noise. But uh, Baron and Luthien. Yeah. <laughs> back to Baron and Luthien. So um, the eagles pick him up. And one of the cool things about when the eagles pick him up is uh, Luthien actually looks down and she sees Gondolin. From the from the air, yeah, because the eagles start flying them back south from Angband to get to to Doriath, and while they're flying south, they happen to fly over, over Gondolin. Gondolin, and she sees like uh, like green and and white down there, because um, that's what Gondolin's all about. Is that green and white? Yeah, so, so that's that's like a fun little Easter egg for her. Like, yeah, a little Easter. egg. No one knows where Gondolin is. She doesn't know where Gondolin is. Uh, the only people that have ever been there are. Tuor, or I'm sorry, Huor and Hurin, but uh, they don't even know technically where well, it hasn't, is. And also that hasn't happened yet. Has it not? No. I wonder how those timelines line up. Um, actually, it might be around the same time. Maybe Hurin and Huor are there while she flies It over could it. be, because they were there for, what, like a year a or year, a couple yeah, of years? They stayed there a year. Okay, these, anyway. are, two, these are two characters we're going to talk about more in the next set. Yeah, so. the very next episode, so <clears throat> so stay tuned, guys. But uh, So she gets that fun little vision of, of Gondolin as, as the eagles fly her back to Doriath with Baron and uh, sets them down safely within the confines of Doriath, but... You know, they're not doing so well. Uh, she sucked the poison out of Baron. He's still pretty injured. And not only that, but Doriath has changed. They've been gone a while. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's cold and shit. Like, it's wintertime. It's dark. It's people dark. Are, are not happy anymore. Uh, if you'll remember before, people in Doriath basically lived in blissful peace away from all the shit that was happening with... Melkor and the Noldor and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, they had their girdle of Melian. They, they had the girdle of Melian, but after Luthien left, things changed. Uh, there was nobody to 
sing away winter and, and bring about spring, and naturally Thingol was very sad. And when the king's sad, everyone's sad, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's how um, autocracy works. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so they uh come they eventually they come back into Doriath and uh, well into excuse me into Menegroth. Yeah, they go all the way back to uh Thingol himself in the kingdom of Menegroth. And there's a, there's a really cool scene where um where Baron comes in and he's like I'm here to claim my own, my quest is fulfilled. And they're like what? What? And he says even now I clutch a Silmaril in my hand. And then <clears throat> he holds out his left hand which is just there which and it's is bare which is empty and at this point um so people like to give themselves names in tolkien um baron calls himself cam lost after this which means empty-handed um and then he also um when he got his hand bit off people from then on called him urkamian which means one-handed mm-hmm. so he's got a couple names here anyway he holds out his hand it's empty and then he holds up his stump <laughs> And Thingol immediately understands. He's like, like, oh shit, something something major has happened here. And it, it softens them a little bit. Yeah, they at that point Luthien and and uh, Baron tell Thingol the whole story, everything whole that's happened, the the death of Finrod, everything that happened to in Angban. Hell, they got to Angban and they even got a hold of his crown, they got a Silmaril, but to no avail ultimately. And uh, yeah, it softened Thingol quite a bit to the point where he gained a lot of respect for Baron. Yeah, he's he's like you're unlike any other mortal. Like you've done things, and then well, then he actually gives him Luthien's hand at that point. Yeah, they get married just yeah. right. Like right that, then if and that there. shows you like how how much his opinion has changed on Baron, he gives them his blessing gladly because Baron is one badass dude. Mm-hmm. He deserves it. So amongst all the grief and bad things that were going on, there was a little bit of joy and a little in in the marriage of, of Baron and Luthien. Yeah, yeah for, for a, a minute. minute. <laughs> but ultimately then they started getting uh reports in from the northern borders of Doriath that there's this monster, this monstrous wolf that's just been ravaging the countryside, killing people and destroying just things. Destroying everything. I mean, Karkaroth is still running around raging with that Silmaril in his stomach. Burning inside of his stomach. Like, they talk about how uh, he would go to rivers and just start drinking rivers and mm-hmm. poisoning the rivers, trying to sate the burning that he has in his stomach with the Silmaril, and nothing works, and he's just going mad. And so at this point, you know how there's always that point, and especially in Tolkien, Tolkien does this too, and we talked about Game of Thrones did this in their last uh, season, is when you get like the most badass characters of all time together to like do something together. Oh yeah. So they 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 form a posse, a badass posse, a badass posse, and it's got Baron, naturally. It's got Mablung, the heavy-handed, who's the king's guard, and it's got Beleg Strongbow, who we will get more into Beleg. Yeah. So He's Mablung and Beleg, they they reside in Doriath. They're King Thingol's friends. Yeah, friends slash his best warriors. Yeah, yeah. they're they're hella warriors. Yeah. So they they gear and up Thingol and himself. Thingol himself gears up, and we're still forgetting one of the most badass characters part of this posse, Huan, Huan the Hound, Huan of, the Hound of Valinor. And so yeah, they set out and they uh, they come across him, um, Karkaroth, um, being and he uh, he's drinking the waters of Elsgalduin, the river, trying to quench the um, 
the uh, you know the burning in his stomach and uh so Huan decides to uh they they basically overlooking him and then Huan sneaks off and he's gonna like he's trying to like assault him like flank him or something yeah he's trying to flank him basically yeah he's like Huan's like I'm gonna flank him and he takes but off. before Huan has a chance to do that Karkaroth notices that their group is there mm-hmm. and so Huan is now off trying to do something and this motherfucker just attacks he, he just and he goes straight for Thingol he goes straight too. for Thingol he bounds across the river through the trees and just. Right on Thingol. Like, this is obviously a problem. This motherfucker is huge, and he's mm-hmm. killing everyone. Like, he's going to kill this guy. And so in uh, in another show of Baron's worth and dedication, he saves Thingol's life. He takes a spear. Single-handed, by, mind you, he has one hand now. Literally single-handed. Yeah, literally single-handed. I didn't even think of that, Joel. Yeah, he's one-handed now. I didn't now. even think of that. Yeah, he only has one fucking hand right now. Wow, I never thought of it. Like, this part of the story is so much more badass now. <laughs> I totally forgot Dude only got one hand at this point. So yeah, he takes up his good hand, which is his left hand. It's not even his sword hand. Takes a spear, and he tries to go right for Karkaroth, which is pretty badass, but uh, it it uh, doesn't work. It doesn't work. He's Karkaroth swept aside. Swept aside, like, easily. Like, this guy's a monster. He just throws right, Baron right aside, down. and then while Baron is on the ground, He's just on Baron, ripping apart his chest. Just tearing pieces of his chest out. Just gnawing at his chest, they say. And, I mean, things are pretty bleak at this point. I mean, <laughs> Thingol's down, and this has all happened so fast, and now Baron's getting just torn apart, and then out of nowhere comes Huan, the hound. And he just jumps yeah. on top of his back and brings him down to the ground, and their battle is supposed to be... I mean, you thought the battle between Huan and Wolf Sauron was badass? <laughs> this is supposed to be horrifying. There was a... should read this Read this excerpt. This is a really cool excerpt. So yeah. there's, a, there's an excerpt from the, the Silmarillion that we wanted to throw in there about their battle. And it goes... In the baying of Huan was heard the horns of Orome and the wrath of the Valar. But in the howls of Karkaroth was the hate of Morgoth and the malice crueler than teeth of steel. Hell yeah. So it's basically symbolic <coughs> between these two wolves. The The fight between them is symbolic it's of a pr- the it's ultimate... It's a proxy fight, yeah. Yeah, it's the ultimate fight between Melkor and the Valar coming mm-hmm. out right in front of these elves and this one man. And it's suppo- it, the sounds were horrible. They said that their fighting was downing trees and breaking rocks and it was it was something yeah and uh so eventually um uh karkaroth is uh, is killed and he's uh but at the same time our good dear friend huan huan the faithful hound is mortally wounded and he goes over to baron who's still barely alive bleeding out from his chest wounds and uh he Speaks to him for the third and final time. And uh, he bids farewell and he dies. A moment of silence for Huan. Pour one out. (laughs) (laughs) So Huan dies there next to Baron. And they, uh, they get Baron and Huan's body and they put them together on a, you know, like a... A stretcher. A stretcher. And they carry them back to Doriath, where Baron sees Luthien 
one more time before he too passes up the ghost. And she pleads with him before he dies, and she says, "Wait for me in the west, uh, in the shores beyond the sea." And uh, and then right before he dies, though, they cut the Silmaril. Oh, that's right. This is a very powerful moment. They, they actually cut open Karkaroth's dead carcass. They cut open his belly, and they pull this shining light from his carcass. Which still is attached to... Baron's hand. Baron's hand is still attached on his, his band. His hand was perfectly preserved, holding onto the Silmaril in this wolf's stomach. Mm-hmm. And they hand the Silmaril to Baron in his, his good hand. And before <laughs> he dies, Baron hands the Silmaril to Thingol. And he says something on the lines of, Oath fulfilled, bruh. Basically. <laughs> and then that was Baron's death. And then he dies. Moment of silence. Another moment of silence. Yeah. So, and uh, like Luth- like I said, Luthien, um, she pleased with Baron to uh, to wait for her, which uh, she, I don't really know what that means. How can you do that? Right, yeah. So, but, and then, um, so Luthien ultimately is grieving so is hard that she essentially she, dies as well. She, she dies. She gives up her spirit out of grief. Yeah, which elves do. They, they die of grief, which is... Something that's, uh, well, uh, people kind of do that, too. And people kind of do that in real life. People do do that when people are sick in the hospital. If they don't have the will to live, they will just start just to die. die. Yeah. Or like people, like, uh, you know, when people have been married a really long time, like you've been married for 60 years or something like that, and your wife dies, like you die within a year. Like you're right. Done. Like, yeah. Anyway. So it, it was it was traumatic for her. She basically died of grief. And being an elf... Her soul goes to the halls of Mandos. Right. Mandos the, the Valar, who is essentially like... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good comparison for He's him. He's kind of like Hermes in that he ushers the dead spirits yeah. into the... Af- like if, you, if, you, if you could compare him to like a Greek god, it would be like mm-hmm. Hermes. Yeah. And she pleads to him. And because... Well, and the, here's another thing. Baron, being the persistent little fuck that he is, his spirit is refusing to leave... And it's tarrying in the halls of Mandos because the, the spirits of men don't go there. No, if, they're supposed to go beyond. Yeah, we don't know where they go. And That's like the gift of men, yeah, the, the gift, the of death, death of yeah. men, the gift of Ilavartar to men when they die, they go beyond the halls of Mandos to nobody knows where or how or if they come back. It's a mystery. But Baron, stubborn little shit, he's for some reason stuck in the tarrying around in the in the halls of Mandos, and Luthien goes there and goes to Mandos himself and sings a song that's supposed to be just the most sorrowful song describing the griefs of both elves and men just mourning and it actually it moves it, mandos it moves yeah everybody who hears it yeah and um so mandos is basically at this point he gives luthien a choice a great choice <laughs> and he says um you can either stay here in Valinor and mourn the death of uh, of Baron for all eternity. Yeah, basically, grieve in this wonderful place. It'll help. Yeah, it'll be like it's the best place to grieve. Let's be honest. Like, yeah, I mean the specifically the Gardens of Lorien is where he was offering her, and that's where people go. That's where Melian went when yeah. she grieves at one point in the future. Anyway, and uh, yeah, so yeah, she, that that's choice one, choice A. Um, choice B is uh, is 
um, so he, this, uh, he choice B is to go back to Middle Earth and live with Baron. He's essentially given him another chance, but um, she will give up her immortality and her spirit will no longer be ter- uh, tethered to the Earth as elves are. So basically, what he's saying is, when you die again, because you will die a mortal death now. Your spirit doesn't get to come back here. So this is the last of Valinor you're ever going to see, basically, is what he says. Um, and what do you think Luthien does, Joel? Well, being the romantic that she is, she obviously chooses to live again with her lover Baron, both mortal, in Beleriand. And Mandos grants her wish, and uh, I think it's on behalf of, of Manway, right? Yeah, Manway's obviously he 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 has the he, say. he has the ultimate say, but mm-hmm. uh, Mandos goes to Manway and they, and they work it out, and they are again alive in Beleriand. Yay! Woo! Happy ending, right? And they're both mortal. They're both mortal now. I guess that's not happy, but that's um, they're on the same level, right? Right. I mean, um, and this is like we said in the beginning of this um, series that we're doing here. This is a story of uh, of love and how love uh, conquers. This is Tolkien's great love story. This is his great love story, yeah. And uh, he, it's how love conquers everything. Evil, fear, death itself, all are conquered by love. And that's what this story says. And it's, uh, it's kind of a unique story in Tolkien for that. And it's super sad. So when Tolkien's wife died, he mm. actually had, he had Luthien inscribed on her gravestone mm-hmm. and uh there's actually a really sad letter in the new baron and luthien book where he talks about christopher i think christopher describes J.R. tolkien saying this right yeah yeah he, he talks about um how his his father basically lamented that he couldn't go to the halls of mandos and plead for luthien to come back as she did for baron because she's dead <laughs> anyway Super sad. Super sad shit. You should definitely read the Baron and Luthien book. Um, we didn't really talk a whole lot about the Baron and Luthien book, but we, we, we probably will in the future. Yeah, this, this episode consists of the ultimate uh, final canon version of Baron and Luthien, but Baron and Luthien specifically is a story that has at least three fleshed out versions because this right. story was created before Middle Earth was even a thing. This right. was like one of Tolkien's earliest fairy tales. Yeah, we're talking like 1917 here. Like, yeah, yeah Christopher, real early. Christopher Tolkien says he remembers his father telling the story to him as a kid mm-hmm. at bedtime. So yeah, very old story. So that that's essentially the end of the Quintus story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Baron and Luthien. So Baron and Luthien, they live happily ever after in Assyrian, the land of seven rivers. Yeah, it's just east of of Doriath, ways, and it's and basically they, wonderful plains with rivers and green and. And they uh, have a son too, whose name is Dior, mm-hmm. and we'll learn a lot more about Dior later on because being Thingol's heir, he right. So whereas generally that's the end of the story of Baron and Luthien, we wanted to at least let you know what happens to those characters, in the long term. So after they get settled down at the island that they're living on over in, in Osirian, you know, a, a nice happy place, and they have a child named Dior, um, things are going pretty well. But you got to remember, back in Doriath, still, Thingol now has his Silmaril. Yeah. I mean, that's a, 
That's a pretty big it's, game changer. Yeah, it's game changer. Now this whole time with Baron and Luthien doing their coming back from the dead and living happily ever after and having a kid stuff, the whole time Thingol is still there in Minagroth with this Silmaril and his mind is just bent on it constantly to the point where he doesn't even trust it to be guarded behind doors in his sacred treasury anymore. He he can't stand to be parted with it. He right. wants he becomes to guard... Obsessed with he it. becomes obsessed with it. And I think this is kind of where they pull the whole bit with the rings of power. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because me and Joel actually had a conversation because me and Joel are in this weird... Uh, so basically, the Lord of the Rings is kind of like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit were this shit that sold. Yeah, it was the stuff we that he had to come up with to sell. He wanted to sell, to sell the Silmarillion and all this first age stuff. J.R. Tolkien did, and they but were like, "No, that shit is lame. We want to hear about hobbits." So he took a lot of the same concepts and basically just rehashed them up in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we were talking about how a lot of the things in the third age are just kind of a uh, a hearkening back to. Mm-hmm. The first stage stuff and plot twists. And, and one of those is the lust for the ring mm-hmm. and how people lust for objects like the Silmarils. Like the Silmarils. So Thingol gets this lust. And uh, so at this time, uh, throughout the history of, of, of the Kingdom of Doriath, of the Cinderin Elves, they're not the most amazing smiths. So a little bit to the east, actually just east of Osirian, where Baron Luthien now are, there's uh, the Blue Mountain Range. Yeah. And in the Blue Mountains, there's Who two lives there, Joel? Who lives in the Blue Mountains? Oh, let me tell you. Joel's going to tell us who lives in the Blue Mountains. You know who lives in the Blue Mountains, guys? The fucking dwarves live yeah. in the Blue Mountains. There's two dwarven strongholds called uh, Nog- Nargrod, right? Yeah. Nargrod and Belagost. Mm-hmm. And that famous dwarven smith that we mentioned earlier in this episode. Telkar. Telkar. Um, he is one of the smiths from Nargrod, and uh, the dwarven smiths from Nargrod travel to, to Doriath to help the elves out with some of their smithing needs. Mm-hmm. So uh, one day, you know, Thingol has this Silmaril, and he's he doesn't even want to part with it anymore, so he gets this great idea when he sees uh, some of the dwarves traveling into Doriath and to Menegroth, and he, he tracks them down and requests their help to uh, have them use their smithing skills to instill the Silmaril into a special dwarven necklace called the Nauglamir, which is supposed to be one of the greatest works of art works of the dwarves yeah, ever. Period. And he wants to set the greatest work of the elves period into the greatest work of the dwarves period. And so he, he gets them to do it. He gets this, uh, this famous smith and a couple of his other dwarf friends to work in Menegroth for a while and they set this together and then it is now this necklace with a Silmaril in it is the greatest work amongst dwarves and Ever elves. Ever made by craft, yeah. And, I mean, men, they don't even get Nowhere considered did, in this yeah. category. <laughs> <laughs> as much as, yeah. You know, men, as valiant as men are, their smithing skills are not quite on par with no. the other with I the mean, other they're ones. good, but, like, you know, yeah. Numenor, Numenor had some shit going on. They were good. But, like, other than that, yeah, not so much. Right. But, uh, so this, they make this, and it is... Truly great, this this new necklace with the Silmaril in it, to the point where now the dwarves lust after it. And oh yeah, they're when it's finally finished, they withhold it from Thingol and they ask him what right Thingol has to this item, this dwarven necklace, which was originally gifted to someone else, uh, but it came to be in the hands of Thingol. And which is a whole other story. That's a whole. We'll actually get to that. We're getting next that. Episode. Yeah, we're getting into that too. All these things that we said we'll get to in the future, they're they're coming. They're coming up. They're actually happening. But 
They they withhold it, and Thingol gets furious, and he insults them and tells them that they are cast out from Doriath, and he belittles them, and they're he in, mocks them. He mocks face. them, and they are enraged, and they kill him. They fucking slay Thingol, the king. Of the Doriath. king of Doriath. In the Doriath. The, surrounded by fucking elves. And may we mention again that this is the most established kingdom in all of Middle-earth at this point. Mm-hmm. Doriath has been around it's since... the oldest, yeah. See, it's one of the oldest since before the Noldor even came back to Middle-earth. So this oh, is yeah. a big deal. He killed like a high king of the Sindar. Mm-hmm. These, these dwarves did. So they book it out of Doriath. But they obviously don't make it. The People are alerted to what happened. Uh, the the elves track down this little band of dwarves, kill most of them, take back the Silmaril and Aglamir mix, and two of the dwarves get away. They make it all the way back to Belagost. I'm sorry, to Nargrod. And they tell the other dwarves what happened, and they, and they lie. They, they bend the truth, and they say that... Um, after they made it, uh, King Thingol had some of them executed, and it was a big deal, which mm-hmm. wasn't obviously they true. Lie. Yeah, they just they, they lied, and it inf- obviously infuriated the other dwarves to the point where the dwarves decided to go to war. Mm-hmm. They decided to go to war with the elven kingdom of Doriath. Yeah, which is, um, we talked about in episode one or two, we talked about um, why dwarves and elves don't get along. And episode this, one. This is it right here. This yeah, is this the is event. the origins of the disparity between the dwarves and the elves. This it's not a, it's more than a misunderstanding. At this point, an entire army <laughs> of yeah. yeah, an entire army of like high dwarves cuz they're they're at the pretty a pretty big peak in their in their days. Oh yeah. comes and absolutely sacks Menegroth, the capital of the kingdom of Doriath. They well, cuz well, what we didn't mention is it was easier to do that because when uh, Melian heard about Thingol uh, oh, yes. being dead, she just fucking leaves and she goes to Valinor. Yeah. She's done. She's done with Middle Earth. She's she leaves. Yeah, her Melian. Her love is yeah, Melian being not just an elf, but in fact a Maiar, who was married to Thingol, the the king elf. After after he's dead, she just goes into mourning. The girdle of Melian falls. Anyone can enter Doriath, and she leaves back to Valinor to Valinor to, uh, I guess, grieve in. In the Lorien, gardens of yeah. Lorien, which is what Mandos offered Luthien earlier. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so guard is down. They get destroyed, and they completely sack Menegroth. They oh, who do they kill at the gates of the? They kill someone right at the gates of the. Uh, is it Mablung? I think they kill Mablung. I think it's Mablung. They kill Mablung right at the gates of the treasury, and then they raid the treasury. And they leave. And yeah, they steal everything. Everything, including the Silmaril. Yeah, they steal that shit back. They steal the Noglamir. And uh, so they, the whatever elves are left, send word to Baron and Luthien. In Osirian. In Osirian. They're still doing their happily ever after shit on their little happy island. And Baron's like, no, this... This is obviously not okay. I mean, they killed this, the king, yeah, and they sacked everything, and they they fucking stole the Silmaril that he lost his hand and died for. This aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Baron gets uh, gets together with some of the green elves of that land, 
and they they travel up to to waylay the dwarven army and as the dwarven army is you know they they've they've thought they've got a great victory they've got all this treasure and they're heading back to their dwarven stronghold they uh they get ambushed by baron and his his green elves as they're crossing oh, yeah. a river yeah baron shows up with a bunch of green elves and uh green elves don't like dwarves very much either so they're cool with yeah. killing them, and ultimately, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty bloody battle. But uh, in the end, the the dwarves lose, and Baron actually single handedly, once again with one hand, with one hand and his non dominant hand again, slays the dwarven king and takes back the Nalgamir. And at that point, they kill most all the dwarves, and the dwarves can't continue to carry their treasure across the river because they're getting ambushed. So they book in all the treasure that they stole from Enegroth falls into the river and sinks to the bottom, except Whoops. for except for the Silmaril. Except for the Nalgamir. He, he gets the Nalgamir, Baron does. But after that, the, the river is renamed. It was the River Askar, and then it becomes renamed Rothlorien, which is the Golden Bed. And uh, at that point, they're not really sure what to do with the Silmaril. So Baron and Luthien keep the Nalgamir. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. And uh, yeah, they take it back to Assyrian with them. And Luthien wears it as a, as a jewel. And uh, she sings and dances with it on. And everybody says it's like the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah, it's supposed to be the most beautiful sight outside of Valinor and for that for a little while in that part in that part of the land that there was actually some kind of happiness and peace resemblant of, of Valinor. Yeah, should we read this? Should I read it? Oh read yeah, it? go for it. There's a little excerpt. So a little excerpt here. It, it is sung that Luthien wearing the necklace and that the immortal jewel was the visions of the greatest beauty and glory that has ever been seen outside of Valinor. And for a little while that land became like a vision of the land of the Valar. And no place has been since so fair, so fruitful, and so filled with light. How beautiful. Yeah. Now, things are going pretty well. Uh, well, I mean, for Baron and Luthien anyway, Menegroth and, Dor- the, you know, the kingdom of Doriath, the capital of Menegroth has been completely sacked, and they're not doing so well. So and they got no leader. They have no leader. Now, Luthien was the daughter of the king, and they have now had a son, Dior. Dior. So Dior is now... The rightful heir. The rightful heir to the kingdom of Doria. Yeah. And so he goes... He sees it as his duty. Yeah. And when he's old enough, uh, Dior, their son, leaves and goes to Menegroth, and he's happily welcomed as the as the natural heir, and he actually rebuilds the kingdom of Doriath back to prosperity. Yeah. For a little, for for a while, they have they have peace, and it, things things get better thanks to Dior. And uh, one night, late in autumn, uh, there is a messenger of the Green Elves of Osirian that comes late one night, demanding admittance to King Dior. He has a message for him, and this messenger. Late at night brings Dior a special a box. It's like a strong box, like a lock box. And what does Dior find in that lock box? But in that coffer lay the necklace of the dwarves, wherein was set the Silmaril, and Dior, looking upon it, knew knew it for a sign that Baron Urcamion and Luthien Tenuviel had died indeed, 
and gone where go the race of men to a fate beyond the world. There you have it. By that symbol, he knew that Baron and Luthien were finally, finally dead. For real this time. For real. And that... And that's it, guys. That is officially the end of, of Baron and Luthien. Yeah. Part two of part two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After a few technical difficulties and a late release, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah. And so so we have this episode coming in a little bit late. Um, next week we're going to do the episode uh, that we've been talking about for a while with our friends over at Gamer Radio. Um, we did a Tolkien crossover episode, which is uh, Tolkien video games, excuse me. So we're going to be talking about Tolkien video games with our buddies from, um, from Gamer Radio next week. And then uh, the week after that we're going to be getting into my favorite story in all of Tolkien, guys. Because it's so, so sad. <laughs> it's just unfathomably sad it's the saddest like story i think i know and it's it's um it's really something and it's it's got one of my favorite characters and i'm super excited i've um, i'm balls deep like i told joel i'm balls deep in this story like i'm i'm rereading the silmarillion i listen to the children of who are an audiobook and uh it's gonna be great i can't wait for that episode so like we said at the beginning of, of part one we're super excited to bring you guys th- this series of episodes because it's about the three chief tales of the elder days from from tolkien's first age first so of which was, was baron and luthien which we just finished that was tolkien's ultimate love story you know love defeats uh defiance against family against enemies love defeats death like it's beautiful the next story the second of the three is the story of the children of Hurin. specifically we're going to call it a, a character profile on oh turin God. turin turinbar which means Master of Doom, which is one of my Turumbar is one of my favorite names. And it is by all means Tolkien's great tragedy. The tragedy. And it is absolutely tragic. And it is very well made. It's super beautiful in an obviously good. tragic sense, but it's 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 one of our favorites. So yeah, that's coming up. And yeah, we're super excited. So that'll be part two of three for this um it'll I'm, excuse me. So Turin will be a two parter. As as well. As well. But that will be... So Turin would be the part second. two of three. <laughs> so this is super confusing. Yeah. It's I'm the second of three tales is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we should call it a part. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So of the, of the three the chief of tales... It's the second of three chief tales. Right. Of the three chief tales of the first stage, it is the second and most tragic. And it is, it's a big one, too. It's, it's a big deal. There's a lot yeah. of major stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hope you'll tune in for that. And... Once again, guys, thanks thanks for yeah, sticking thanks with for us listening. through this. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. We're getting a, a lot of support, uh, a lot, definitely a lot more than I thought we'd be getting at this point. Um, people seem to like it. Um, so, you know, hit us up if there's anything. If you hate us, if you love us, let give us, us know. Give us some feedback. Yeah, hit us up on Facebook. Send us some hate mail or some love mail, you know. Yeah, either way, uh, we're fine with it. We can take it. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so uh, thanks so much, guys. We love you for listening. Um, and we'd also like to throw out a quick thanks to our, once again, to our producer and editor, Cody Freitag. He, uh, he's, he's, just, he's just great. And yeah, he's the glue holding this stuff together, yeah. guys. Yeah, and uh, so th- thank him, basically, for this. Because <laughs> if, <not laughs> if, if you enjoy at all listening to us, um, 
thank Cody because otherwise it would just be me and Joel sitting on a couch somewhere smoking. Right, we probably yeah, each other. we probably wouldn't even be doing this. So if you if you really enjoy this, check out some of his other his other stuff that he's put out. There's there's plenty of it out there. But uh, as always, guys, thanks for tuning in and uh, keep on talking. <laughs>